0: 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts.
1: Well this has been a, a bit of an interesting day and we're gonna talk a little bit more about this with um my guest coming up here, Arnold Stricker, who's a member of a group called Citizens for Greater Town Town St. Louis. But we have the, uh, the aftermath of the accident, that critically injured 17-year-old Janae Edmondson has now drawn even more attention to um, not only City Hall, but Kim Gardner in the circuit attorney's office. And there's been a couple of amazing developments today. Kim Gardner has been thrown under the bus by the mayor. It's about time. Here's what she told KMOV and Russell
2: Kinsall. She really needs to do some soul searching on whether or not she wants to continue as circuit attorney because she's lost the trust of the people circuit attorney who's been there for six years uh, this incident and others have highlighted the fact that some improvements need to be made in her
1: office so the um, piggybacking on that jason hall who is the ceo of greater st louis inc said in a statement that the crime was as preventable as it is tragic while this tragedy may serve as a turning point in the efforts to strengthen public safety it only highlights the lingering issues that have gone unaddressed for far too long we need immediate action these issues are not new thankfully this a great statement from Jason Hall, by the way, and solving them requires all of us stepping up and coming together as one metro to develop a regional strategy to reduce crime and strengthen public safety. It's a great statement because it acknowledges that this is not new. This isn't something that just cropped up. Many of right. us as listeners to this station know we've been talking about this um, behavior in the circuit attorney's office for quite some time. But when we bring it up. You have national people that come in like Jeff Begays and Bill Whitaker at CBS. And they say, well, you're just a white supremacist. You're just racist. She's trying to change the culture of law enforcement. Well, congratulations, Kim Gardner. You certainly have done a great job here. So we we have the mayor's comments. We have certainly at least one member of the Board of Aldermen I've seen that has called for her resignation. And again, I've asked people, even people that I like. Like Jack Coder, who's leaving the Board of Aldermen, long time, reared and roundtable. Why not? Why Call for her resignation. Yeah. Have pe- people what he have he say? Well, they're, they don't, they're unwilling to do it because they don't want to offend African-American constituents. So the line has always been, look, she was elected over when she was, right? She was elected. She was elected again. She felt like that was a mandate that the people of St. Louis are telling her to do a terrible job and don't put criminals behind bars. So that's exactly how she's conducted herself in this office, sadly. Um, Now I mentioned Arnold. Let's bring him in here. Members of Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis, a resident of the Printer's Lofts downtown. And by the way, I should mention that one of the reasons this is important is because we found out that there were 50 instances (laughs) where Daniel Riley who's the guy that sped down the car and hit this poor girl he was supposed to be under house arrest while out for a bond on a robbery charges but he had violated his bond 50 times the case had been dropped and refiled Gardner's office says what well, was refiled because the victim died the, the the father of the the victim said no he's alive that my son's alive who Unbelievable. was the, so that's amazing too so that's where That brings us right now, and let me go back here and reintroduce my guest. I wanted to make sure I got that in there. Arnold Stricker is a member of Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis. Arnold, thank you for being patient. How are you this afternoon?
3: Great, Mark. Thank you for uh, asking me to uh, talk about this issue.
1: I was unfamiliar. uh, Maybe I I should have been familiar, but I was unfamiliar with the group Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis. So let's start there in, in what that group is and how long it's been around, et cetera.
3: Citizens for Greater Downtown St. Louis is a group of downtown residents, um, business owners, um, homeowners, condo owners who have gotten together to develop some policies and guidelines to improve the downtown area. And we had initially uh, proposed a uh, community improvement district alongside when uh, the community improvement district was up for uh, what I would say a reevaluation and and uh, reissuing of it, so we we are a group of um, people who we have no executive director. We operate on our own funds, and we uh, meet periodically to uh, decide and figure out what can we do to offer to the city and to the community uh, what can be done to improve the downtown area.
1: I should notice that Les Sturman is in group is involved in this group, and Les has been a guest on the show for many years. He used to be the executive director of the East West Gateway Council of Governments, right? So he's someone that's on board with this, correct?
3: Correct. He kind of uh, is a quasi chair of our of our
1: group. So, and how long has it been around, Arnold? I'm sorry.
3: I would say the group's been around uh officially for about four to five years, Mark. Okay, gotcha. All
1: right. Your your reaction then to what happened on on Saturday night and then just the uh you know, we've learned a lot in the last couple of days that have been disappointing as well, but the group's reaction and your message at this point.
3: You know, unfortunately it it's it's sad. Uh there, there are really no words to describe um what I'm sure the family is feeling and you come to a, to another city and you're coming for an event uh, where your daughter's going to have a great time and the daughter's going to have a good time, and this kind of thing happens, and no family should have to endure something like that, but what's unfortunate about this is I really think this was inevitable, uh, and it's going to continue to be inevitable, and it's what what is it going to take for the city to get some common sense legislation and some action to correct some of the things that are deficient that are causing some of these issues we, we we would really like to see the city accept responsibility not ride the fence not blame anybody not have a news conference or say we're going to have another study uh we would like to see the business community step up and not be on a bandwagon and jump onto things and and have a news conference and say everything's Wonderful and fine, and we're making some progress. And then we see these kinds of things continue to develop over the course of time. I think the, um, you know, we routinely see people flouting the law daily, and the data that is given does not support, does not look like what is actually occurring because, you know, people have either stopped reporting or the data collection is frankly flawed. And uh, the city has really failed us all the citizens and the victims of the criminal activity downtown and uh, citizens gave the city and gave Depsi and gave GSL a plan and they won't even discuss it. So these kinds of things are predictable because there's no plan. We constantly ask, what's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? Obviously there is no plan. There's no police presence downtown. There is no enforcement and the civic community is pretty complicit with what's going along. Uh, They really don't have a clue as to what really occurs 24-7 downtown.
1: Well, how can that be? That that part sort of jumps out to me right there at the end, what you said, Arnold. How how can they not be aware?
3: Uh, very few of them, if I know there are a few, but most of the people who are engaged in downtown and like GSL and Depsey do not live downtown. So when... Like last night when I heard at 2 o'clock in the morning about 24 gunshots go off. You know, and that occurs periodically throughout all of the city, and, and I get that. But if somebody's living out in the county or somebody's living in an area where this doesn't happen and they're giving input as to how downtown should function, I think that's kind of a misnomer.
1: Yeah, well, uh, there's so much here because it's not just one thing which makes it complicated, right? And I was in a group of law enforcement officials earlier today at a luncheon where I was um, asked to deliver some remarks. They had low standards. Actually, Mark Cox was supposed to be there, and I was pinch-hitting. But I feel badly for the—and I have friends who are law enforcement downtown, but they feel like they don't have the support. You also have the— the nature of it's it's human nature to think, look, if I do something that is going to be deemed, you, you know, unwarranted, why well, could lose my career and my life and my livelihood? So th- this is a complicated situation, but this is nothing new. As you know, you say you've lived in the city for a couple of years, but you've been a business owner or you've had condos or rental properties. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of that for a while, Arnold, mm-hmm. haven't you?
3: Correct. We've had some rental properties in the city. We've lived downtown for almost four years Right.
1: Now. So this is, you know, this goes back before this administration. Some of this goes back before, certainly before Tashara Jones as well. Now, you mentioned your group having a plan, Citizens for St. Louis, Citizens for a Greater Downtown St. Louis. What is that plan? Can you give us some, at least some broad outline of it?
3: I, I can give you, it's, it's really five points. And it's not to burden down law enforcement anymore because they are already burdened down. They become the... Uh, you have to go around and you have to patrol everything but there there are five things mark one is problem properties, the second one is uh, liquor licensing the third one is unhoused populations the third fourth one is cruising and general traffic lawlessness, and the fifth one is surface parking lots and what we've seen is that there have been incidents related to all of these kinds of issues th- those five things that have caused problems in the downtown area and when they group together, it really creates havoc we've had Problem properties where there have been uh, disengaged landlords. Over at Eli Walker, you have had some issues with that. The the liquor licensing issue where we have groups that are actually serving liquor without a liquor license. We have unhoused populations. And why the city is not using the Housing First model would be a good question to ask them. Uh, Cruising and general traffic lawlessness, if you listen on any Sunday or Monday night, and any holiday time you will hear drag racing going up and down of Washington Avenue or Del Mar or several other streets, Olive.
1: Well, beyond uh, and and beyond that Yeah, beyond that, as you know, there there's just no and I see it every day, there's no even effort at some points to even stop at stoplights or or stop signs because they know there's gonna be no enforcement of that, right?
3: Right. And, and so, why why should somebody do that? And then, people who are law-abiding citizens look at this and go, "There must not be anything in place to actually correct these things." And now, I know these things are happening all over this, the country. However, we live in St. Louis, and we expect the leadership to step up and do something to assist the, the law-abiding citizens. So, this five-point proposal mark is essentially about, you know, fourteen pages, thirteen pages. There's a lot of in-depth kind of uh, subsections where there's suggestions that are made. You know, we're not asking for the entire thing to be adopted. Uh, hook, line, and sinker, but we're like, let's have a seat at the table. Why don't you at least read the proposal and talk to us about it? Why are you dismissive of it? Right. Because it does offer some solutions. We're not out to say, this is bad, this is bad. We're offering some solutions to these problems, but we're not getting hurt.
1: Arnold Stricker is here. He's a member of Citizens for a Greater Downtown St. Louis. I cut you off a little bit, Arnold, here a moment ago, and I want to go back to surface parking lots because I don't know if I understood that one in particular. What What's that about?
3: Surface parking lots, there, there are some standards in the current uh, laws of the City of St. Louis about parking lots and whether you have an attendant there, how long you have to have an attendant there, but sometimes uh, there are lots that are really, uh, they they look horrible. Uh, They're not fenced, they're not lit, there's no guard there, and what it has become a problem in the city is some of these parking lots are are where a lot of the break-ins happen, there's public drinking, fireworks are shot off from these parking lots, uh, firearms are discharged. There's you know little late night parties. There's stunt driving going on in these parking lots, and there are some minimum standards we think the city should adopt to at least curb those things. No pun intended, but to put a, put a, a damper on right. those kinds of activities.
1: Yeah, and that that seemed that's one that sort of surprised me, but I can absolutely see where that would be an issue. So when when you you have a plan, and I understand that, and I think that's good because you're being proactive. But where. Where is uh, this not being heard? or w- Because there's so many people, right? I mean, we've gotten into some of this even today with Kim Gardner and the mayor. Uh, I don't know if you blame the police themselves or the leadership. Do you place blame?
3: I think um, everyone who lives here is to blame in this aspect that if you're in public service, you need to accept responsibility for what's going on. You can't defer that. You can't point the finger at another agency. You can't point that at another uh, governmental institution. Accept responsibility. Don't cast blame. Don't have a news conference and, and um, say you're going to study a problem more. We've had so many studies, it's sickening. Yeah, you need blue, to do blue something. ribbon
1: panels. We've had enough of blue ribbon panels, right? Right.
3: Yeah. So exactly. I, I think a lot of these things are bandwagon jumping on. Everybody wants to jump on and say, yeah, we're, you know, and what, again, what happened was horrific, but when business leaders say some of the things that they say, it's like, this is now. now, this is not the time to say this. The time to say that you're doing something is when nothing's going on. Everybody expects that you're going to say something when an incident like this happens, but it, it's meaningless
1: because during the other times it's crickets. What, what, when you, when you talked about a community improvement district, what, what does that involve? There is a current CID
3: downtown, and basically their, their philosophy is clean and safe, and uh, they have a clean team which goes around uh, various parts of the city and cleans downtown, and they have a – they paid to have patrols come around, but those patrols from private security uh, essentially cannot do a whole lot of anything.
1: Interesting. Um, well, I don't know where this takes us right now. And, you know, I think that one of the frustrating aspects for for a lot of us who want to see the city move forward is uh, this is such a good time. Potentially the soccer stadium looks great. You have that area down by the foundry. We, we've seen what's happened to Ballpark Village. We have obviously great parks throughout the city. So, I, you know, I was in Kansas City last weekend and the perception and maybe it's the reality is that Kansas City's kind of kicking our butts on a lot of fronts, which uh, shouldn't be happening, because I think that we have a lot of so many positive things that are going on right now. But everything comes back to this crime issue time and time again. And this one really put an exclamation point on it, unfortunately.
3: And we have, Mark, we have a wonderful city with a great history. We have some flaws. You know, no city is perfect and no uh, no community has uh, the best place where you would want to be. Every, every place has something that's going on. So we we have a great city, but we're not acting like it. And there was a comment that was made if we are better than this. Well, I would say, yeah, we are better than this, but we better start acting like it and do something to improve it. Or it's going to continue to be broken.
1: Yeah. Arnold Stricker, member of citizens for a greater downtown St. Louis and you have a website. Can you, can you send people to a website or is it a Facebook page?
3: It is, uh, they can go to, no you know, they, we do have a Twitter page, and they can go to citizensforgreaterdowntown.org.
1: Awesome. Arnold, keep on them. I appreciate your help on this, and thanks for coming on tonight. Thank you, Mark. And let, let me circle back to the the mayor's comments. And earlier this afternoon, when I played this, I think I've actually given credit a couple of times to KMOV because I didn't know where the audio came from, and I I um, grabbed the story from Russell Kinsall at KMOV, and that's what I tweeted out. But I, I think there may have been, as they call it, like a gaggle. I think there were other reporters that were uh, in okay. the uh, the room. And here's a little bit of a longer version of what the mayor said about our circuit attorney.
2: My office is working with our CJCC coordinator Nicole Barton uh, to pull everybody in the room to look at the process see where the gaps were and try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Um, the circuit attorney who's been there for six years uh, this incident and others have highlighted the fact that some improvements need to be made in her office and um, she really needs to do some searching on whether or not she wants to continue as circuit attorney because she's lost the trust of the people
1: so here's a couple questions here where the hell has that person been right right and i i don't have a relationship with tashara what i've said in the past about her is she seems to have some ability she has a personality she can be charming at times and she's just been a big major disappointment and i would put a lot of this blame on her along with kim gardner but having said that let me let me just add this because this is a time for leadership and this is pretty serious and it's been serious for many years yeah so if this is what it's going to take for the mayor to actually get serious because jason hall and others are like look enough is enough we can't this is re-. you know people are going to hear about this from across the country you want to go play volleyball in st louis no that's where the the young girl lost her legs because they're not putting people behind Bars. Correct. So, I'm going to try to stay a little positive here hoping maybe. that maybe there'll be some changes.
4: Selling a little or a lot? <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
0: All Star Closer Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?
1: Things I want to mention before the uh, the next segment: um, John Saylor has been a guest on the show several times, and he's been really a person that's been highlighting some of the um, some of the things that have been going on at public universities, in particular. He started with North Carolina with peeling back on these diversity statements. That you know, if you're applying to be a professor, it doesn't really matter. This is where we are in society. It doesn't really matter uh, how experienced you are you just have to be anti-racist and then you get a job, right? But they're peeling back on some of that. And John... He texted me a couple of days ago, and he said that there was something related to my alma mater, the University of Missouri, on hiring practices that he was looking into. And he's about to break that story tomorrow. I have it. I actually have not had time to read it because I was really busy earlier today. I have it. I'm going to read it tonight. We're going to have John on the show tomorrow. Uh, our new friend Dave Strom with Hot Air. Bob Moffitt from the Heritage Foundation tomorrow. We have a Reardon Roundtable coming up on friday so i want to talk here about social security and medicare seemingly taboo topics in washington speaking of taboo topics i i was friends and have been friends with this guy who uh, since about 1998 from my days in Wisconsin, who used to be the Speaker of the House, and he uh, he ran for Vice President. I know that Paul Ryan's name is like verboten in some conservative circles, which pisses me off because he was a guy that fought for conservative principles his entire life. And one of the things that I was interested in in the early 2000s was Social Security and entitlement reform, because we don't have the money. It's completely unsustainable. But Republicans are very good, as are Democrats, of kicking this can down the road. We kick it down the road, we kick it down the road, we scare people, we scare people People who are over 50 even though any of these proposals would never affect anyone over 50 years old the goal is Perhaps to say, maybe those of us who have kids, I have an eight year old and then some in their 20s, will they have any of this money left or what are we going to do? So it's a big issue and it should be talked about seriously instead of just rhetoric back and forth, scaring people, scaring seniors. Um, Brian Riedel is with us. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He wrote a great piece on this called Biden Promises on Social Security and Medicare Have No Basis. He's with us. Brian, how are you this afternoon? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. And I appreciate coming on here, and I'm surprised that the New York Times actually printed your piece. Can I just start with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I
5: pitch them quite often uh, on, on my stuff. This is, this is one of the rare times they accepted it. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised.
1: So let, let's get into some. I'm not a big math person, which is why I went to journalism school and I talk on the radio. Math is not my thing. But some of the math here is really not too difficult to comprehend, is it? And it's pretty stark.
5: Yeah, I mean, over the next 30 years, the Social Security and Medicare systems will run a shortfall of $116 trillion, which is a number that's almost unfathomable. The entire national debt right now is $25 trillion, the debt held by the public. Just these two systems are going to run a $116 trillion shortfall over 30 years. That's essentially what they have promised in spending above what they're going to collect in payroll tax and premiums. And while I usually hear everyone say, well, what about the Social Security Trust Fund? Well, that's going to be paid back, but that's only $3 trillion. We're talking a shortfall of $116 trillion. So this is much bigger than just what was rated from the Trust Fund. We've promised more than our taxes and the economy are going to be able to deliver.
1: And it's been exacerbated, I would expect. And I don't know how updated these numbers are, but let's look at it. Look at how many people have chosen to retire just in the past few years because of the pandemic. So there are people that are tapping into their Social Security maybe even sooner than they expected to. And Medicare is the same thing. People going on Medicare, they quit their job. That means they got to go on Medicare. A lot of times people want to work because they have good health care benefits and they may not want to go on Medicare, right? But in this particular situation, now this is even, I think, um, moving faster than it was.
5: It's moving faster. There are more early retirements, which is speeding up for Social Security. We've also had the inflation rate of the last couple of years um, automatically then get translated into inflation-adjusted Social Security benefits. You have Social Security benefits rising much faster because of inflation, and that also speeds up the insolvency of the program. In fact, we now... By the next time the trustees come out in the next couple of months, Social Security may be about eight years away from insolvency uh, because of these factors. It's, it's, the, the problem is getting worse fast.
1: Okay, now let's break these down, Brian, a little bit. I've always felt uh, that Social Security, we can talk about Medicare in a little bit, but I think Social Security is actually something that is fixable and solvable. Now, some of it might not be too popular, like pushing up the retirement age. Uh, There's a couple ideas that I have, and I don't remember. What's, What's the number up to a certain point of the income that you pay into Social Security? Is it... $125,000? $160,000 125000
5: 160000 160, a year.
1: Okay, that's gone up considerably. But yeah. you, you one, one of the proposals, for example, would be, so you get to that one, if you're making that much money, you get to that point in your paycheck, you're not having that Social Security money then taken out because you've already paid the maximum. Is that pretty accurate the way I described it?
5: Right, right. Because benefits are tied to taxes, they want to make sure that it, it, because that, that, that if they tax you any more above that level, they'd have to give you even bigger benefits, and they want to maintain the social insurance link.
1: Right, but there is one of the proposals to fix this, or at least in part, is to raise that threshold a little bit. But let me just ask you the question. How do you fix Social Security? What's the best way to do that? Or is it not possible?
5: Well, there's really only three levers to, to fix Social Security. And, and again, just to give you the numbers on it, Social Security is going to collect $65 trillion dollars and, and spend $100 trillion over the next 30 years. The only three levers are you would either raise the eligibility age, start trimming the growth of benefits, particularly at the top, not cutting benefits, but at least trimming the growth, or raising payroll taxes and, and applying to higher, higher wages. Those are really the only three options. It's the retirement age, benefits at the top, and social security taxes and really it just comes down to how much of those three levers you want to pull versus the other levers
1: okay now well, let's just talk about the lever that involves raising the retirement age as someone who wants to retire and again i made it clear that most of these proposals if not all of them would not affect people that are closer to the cusp of retirement but let's say uh, i'm i'm my son's age I got, not. what's that <laughs>
5: Maybe, maybe not. We're past the point where we can exempt people who to our close retirement.
1: Right. All right. Well, then let's let's at least talk about that, because there's not a chance in hell that someone that's in their 50s in particular is going to look at the situation in this country. I don't care what the numbers are that shows that we're going to be bankrupt and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to do my part after paying all into this, and I'm going to retire later, or I'm going to have my benefits reduced. It's not going to happen. So that's what makes this such a tricky political issue.
5: Yeah, there's no easy answer. Um, I mean, Social Security is something people pay into your whole life. They're expecting a certain degree of benefits. The problem, again, though, is you have 74 million baby boomers retiring, and we also have lifespans going much longer. Your people who live to 90 are going to spend a third of their adult life collecting Social Security and Medicare And also benefits rise every year. And so, yeah, I mean, the hard part is the time to exempt everybody over the age of 50 was 20 years ago. That's when Paul Ryan and George Bush were trying to get this fixed. Now – if you did that now, you'd be grandfathering out all seventy-four right. million. It was two thousand
1: three when 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 Congressman Ryan tried to work on this, and there was you know some bipartisan effort, but then it just completely failed because the scare tactics got involved, right. unfortunately. So, what about Medicare? What what's the fix there? Is there one?
5: Medicare is much harder. Social Security is relatively easy as an, from an economic standpoint because it's just a transfer of income that you just change the formulas. It's politically hard, but mathematically it's easy. Medicare is more complicated because you have, you have the entire health economy that's a problem. You have the problem of rising health care costs. Inefficient health delivery, health inflation that makes it so much bigger than just the demographic problem. There's no one solution to fix Medicare. You're going to need, a, you know, they're, they're, the approach that I support is bringing more choice and competition into Medicare, giving seniors more ability to shop around for different competing Medicare plans, trying to make it more efficient that way, and also means testing the benefits a little bit more. Uh, you know, the way it works right now is. Someone who enrolls in Medicare Part B or D, which is physicians and drug coverage, you pay 25 percent and the taxpayers pay 75 percent. Now, that's not social insurance. You never – that that's not paid by your payroll taxes. That's just you retire and the taxpayers pay 75 percent. That's fine for, for – most people on medicare but for wealthier people on medicare i think they can pay more than than that and so i think those those are some of the ways to fix Medicare, but it's not easy.
1: Yeah. Brian Riedel is here. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Miraculously, his position and his piece got into the New York Times. I'm sure there were cancellations after some honesty on this. But here's how you close this, Brian. You said with the Social Security and Medicare trust funds headed toward insolvency within 11 years, that courage is needed again. You're talking about political courage to really address this. I have no hope that that will happen. I, I, I just don't see it happening because you got this election cycle where no one's going to want to yeah. you know talk about serious issues or affecting these. Because once they do, even if you're trying now, you can talk about Rick Scott and some of his nonsense, because I think some people have gone too far. But even if you're someone who wants to offer legit proposals on trying to fix this, it, it will be by your political opponent in a primary or otherwise. Ah, you're going after seniors. That's what they did to Paul Ryan. He's trying to throw granny off the cliff. Remember that?
5: I remember, the, I remember the ad directly. Um, I'm from Wisconsin, so I, I go way back with, with Paul Ryan, and I still, I still have the scars from, from that. Ultimately, we as a country just aren't ready to have a serious conversation on Social Security at Medicare, it seems, because whenever it's brought up, uh, there's so much demagoguery. You're just trying to kill seniors. Uh, there's no problem. People will say these programs are totally paid for. They don't contribute to the deficit. You hear every excuse, and The Republicans, to their credit, brought up Social Security and Medicare a couple weeks ago. President Biden savaged them for it, and now even Republicans are running away from it, saying, well, maybe we don't need to fix these programs. The danger is... We don't have a choice. The economy is going to force us to fix these programs, whether we like it or not. And the longer we wait, the more drastic and painful the reforms will be.
1: Look, I'm on your side on this, and I, I've been interested in this. It's a very wonky issue, which is why Carson Ryan was involved for Speaker figure, Ryan. But it, it's important, but no one ever wants to do it. They want to kick the can, kick the can, kick the can. That's what we're good at in this country. But, Brian, stay on them. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. I, I get to this point in the show sometimes, and... I just want to keep going, which I can't do because I have a concert to go to tonight. But I'm going to wind up a bunch of different great audio and information and stories right now.
0: Standby, playback ready.
1: Now, the audio cut of the day. All right, it's sponsored by the Good Feet store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. And I'm telling you, I have a bunch of things here. I'm going to start with this one. This is the one I want your opinion on, Sue. Ready? Here we go. Okay. A
2: newly proposed Florida bill intended to protect animals would make it illegal to let a dog have any part of its body outside the car. That would block dogs from sticking their heads out of a car window. I'm for them enjoying, you know, the car rides more, so I'm against that. Senate Bill 932 covers many animal welfare topics, but a key aspect for Florida dog owners includes new restrictions on car transportation. It would also forbid drivers from having dogs sit in their laps while behind the wheel. Okay, now,
1: look. We all do things that we probably shouldn't do, but that's just nanny state nonsense. All right, the one thing that I do get concerned about, I see people that put the dogs in the back of the pickup trucks. Yeah, I am not them. crazy about that, but a dog sticking its gums out the window in the wind, they love that. So stop that. If Ron DeSantis signs that bill, we're going to have some issues. Be- a, go go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I have a
2: Sharpay. I had a Sharpay named George, and he liked to put his front paws in the middle between the front seats and stick his nose out the sunroof.
1: Yes. I would not want to rob him of that, Mark. Boy, you love the dogs. with. I didn't know you had a Sharpie. You love the scrunchy face. I do like the scrunchy face. All right, this guy's on MSNBC, Jason Johnson. I don't know who he is, except he's a complete idiot, because listen to this.
5: In my view, (laughs) there are three states you can't really run from if you're trying to win across America. You run from New York, you're too crazy, you're liberal. You run from California, you're too crazy, you're liberal, you're trying to make sure I can't get plastic straws. You run from (laughs) Florida... It's all crystal meth and alligators, right? Like, I mean, that's that's what people think. And I'm not saying
0: that that's the case. I'm saying- what, what?
5: What? I it's, don't even understand. People think
1: of crystal meth and alligators no. when they think of Florida. No, they think of sunshine and yeah. freedom. They may think of alligators, too, but they don't think of crystal meth nope. and have negative connotations. I mean, talk about a guy that's completely out of touch. Now, I love this one, and I, I somehow miss this a little bit, and that's not like me, but I think it's great. Going back to DeSantis here, there's a guy by the name of Brian Griffin that runs— runs his press office, right? He's the press secretary. Listen to this ridiculous question with the vice president last week with Andrea Mitchell from MSNBC. What does
2: Governor Ron DeSantis not know about black history and the black experience when he says that slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught to Florida school children? I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know. Such
1: a blatant lie. Look, it is actually what he's saying. Look, Sue, it is state law in Florida, as in most states, I think, even here in Missouri. You have to teach African-American history. There's no there. This is such a manufactured BS lie from Andrea Mitchell and the rest of the media out there. They did it on the Don't Say Gay bill. They're making it seem like with this AP advanced history class that that he's trying to keep Actual history from being taught, that's no. a complete lie. So, but listen to the reaction. This is why I wanted to feature it. Brian Griffin tweeted this out. I think we need to take a step back. There will be no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its affiliates until at least Andrea Mitchell corrects the blatant lie she made about the governor Thank you. and what he said about slavery in the aftermath of slavery should not be taught in Florida. It's a false statement, and NBC and its affiliates display a consistent track record of truthful reporting. Please feel free to pass this up and around the network. And by the way, I hope they stick to that. And that means Me anyone too. from KSDK, any NBC affiliate, that is journalistic malpractice at a Hall of Fame level. Now let's go to Emily Kors. You know who Emily Kors is? I don't. Oh my god, I don't think you really do want to know her. She's the foreperson for the grand jury in Georgia looking at Trump and some of the election stuff, and she is a nutcase. Personally,
2: want to hear from the former president. I wanted to hear from the
4: former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in,
2: Mm.
4: and so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump. Of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him
2: in, I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome
1: moment. Now, this is unfair right. for me to do this on the radio because you have to Google this, ladies and gentlemen. Look at Emily cores and watch the video. This is a little rougher version because it's from a TV. But listen to this here.
2: There are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at
4: the page numbers of the report, there's about... Six pages
1: in the middle that got cut out. It's not a short list. So you just have to see her facial expressions because it's so goofy. It does not really instill confidence in the grand jury system. Uh And then finally our Hall of Fame level cut of the day, and I'm shocked that she said it, but here she is, the mayor of St. Louis, Deshara Jones, on her terrible tragedy involving this young girl who now, I guess, is, I'm hearing, 17 years old.
2: My office is working with our CJCC coordinator, Nicole Barton, uh, to pull everybody in the room to look at the process, see where the gaps were, and try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. the circuit attorney who's been there for six years, uh, this incident and others have highlighted the fact that some improvements need to be made in her office. And um, she really needs to do some soul searching on whether or not she wants to continue as circuit attorney because she's lost the trust of the people.
1: Uh, she lost it a long time ago after countless um, you know, lies, misrepresentations, unethical behavior, murderers that have not been charged, people leaving the office because of incompetency. Finally, the mayor of St. Louis is throwing Kim Gardner under the bus. It took a young girl to lose her legs, Mm. which is horrifying. We'll talk tomorrow afternoon.
0: Get more at 971talk.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?